This is the iMarket Podcast, brought to you by the Marketing Society of Kenya, EABL, and Capital FM. Welcome to Season 3 of the iMarket Podcast. In this season, we'll be discussing how to leverage technology to put the customer first. My name is Fiona Ngaruro, an e-commerce and growth marketing consultant. I will be your host for this episode. In this episode, we will be discussing this topic with Joel Rao, CEO, Digital and Customer Experience at Dentsu. Joel is a professional with experience in business development and customer engagement in international markets. He has a passion for developing value for people, whether organizations or individuals, in order to help them reach their goals. He believes in creating practical solutions to complex challenges through digital technology. In this episode, we will lay the ground for season three as we introduce data and technology and their role in creating better experiences for consumers and providing deep insight into consumers like never before. Dentsu recently launched their new data tool, M1, which promises to provide a wealth of data and insights for brands, and it's a timely opportunity for us to speak with Joel. A lot of notes around what the consumer's definition is, you know, based off of the English dictionary and so on and so forth. Um, but the best analogy that I could give as far as this, um, or the best definition actually, not analogy, that I could bring uh, around this consumer is a person or an entity that purchases goods or services um, uh, for personal or household use uh, or consumption. And this could be individuals who are buying groceries, clothing, electronics for personal use, as well as business, you know, businesses buying, um, you know, such products or services uh, for their own use within their business environment. But what was really interesting um, in my findings um, around the definition of a consumer is that the term consumer typically refers to someone who is purchasing goods or services from a seller, often in exchange for payment. And that was a golden thread that I got, you know, across the board that was, you know, quite interesting for me. So the actions and decisions of a consumer uh, plays a significant role in driving the economy and influencing, um, you know, uh, the production and marketing strategies of a business that's actually putting out these products or services for sale. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's a great, great definition. Yeah. Um, now, this consumer has evolved quite a lot um, in the past five years. Um, the pandemic has obviously had a big uh, impact. So, tell us a little bit about this consumer. How have consumers evolved over the past five years, and what did the pandemic um, effect on consumers? You know, you say the pandemic. In my mind, I'm like it's been three years already. Yes. Since 2020, I mean, let's just take a moment and yeah. out of five years, three years yeah. has just gone by. But you're right. Yeah. Over the past five years, the consumer has evolved um, in different ways. And I think a key thing to note here is the role that technology has played in shaping, you know, the consumer's behavior at the end of the day. Um, you know, consumers have become more connected and informed. Um, there's a widespread adoption of uh, smartphones, um, you know, social media platforms also have been adopted quite uh, a lot. Um, and they've enabled uh, consumers to have access to inf information and more importantly, um, interact with brands uh, more easily. And this has led to increased demand for personalized experiences, at least from a consumer uh, perspective and the need to have um, needs tailored uh, for the consumer has actually come into play. But what's really important, you know, over the last, let me say three years, you know, during COVID, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, during COVID into post-COVID, um, the pandemic had a profound impact on the consumer. And what's really interesting in, in this scenario is that um, many individuals and households obviously experienced significant changes in their daily lives and also spending patterns. Mm. Um, and the pandemic accelerated uh, the adoption of um, technology, whether it came to e-commerce, yeah. it came to you know digital payment methods. Do you remember a time when shops started saying, we do not accept cash? 
because of the pandemic mm-hmm. that for me was i remember going to two rivers and wanting to buy food and there were no tables at one of the burger joints that mm-hmm. was there and they say we do not accept cash anymore we're only doing card or mpes i mean just think about that for a moment yeah it's wild it is wild, wild right yeah. yeah um and then there's also a surge in demand for essential goods mm-hmm. you know food housing supplies remember when everyone was shopping for toilet paper i don't know why people shopped for toilet paper <laughs> during that time you know yeah. um you know protective equipments mm-hmm. masks i mean i saw gloves gloves i saw our producer walking in today in a mask mm-hmm. after contracting a cold a few days ago <laughs> i mean it's crazy now that you have a cold you have to wear a mask yeah 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 uh, the but effects you, of the pandemic but it's the effects of the pandemic exactly yeah. to your point yeah. um you know the pandemic also led to changes in consumer priorities and values at mm. the end of the day and, and many consumers started placing greater emphasis on health safety sustainability and we are seeing this coming into play uh, there's a growing interest in products and services that support these values so you know we've seen a rise in eco-friendly yeah. you know wares for mm. example products uh you know fitness has become a thing how many gyms have opened up since the pandemic hit enough gyms like yeah. and not just in the urban areas i'm talking about peri urban areas mm, um, and yoga and exactly wellness has become a thing now mm-hmm. uh, and you know the pandemic has catalyzed all this so overall the past 5 years have seen significant changes in consumer behavior and priorities mm-hmm. um and with the pandemic serving as a catalyst for further transformation technology will continue to evolve and shape um this consumer landscape and it will be interesting to see how consumers continue to adapt and evolve uh in this landscape and what a time to be alive absolutely yeah. absolutely yeah. absolutely um i mean you've talked a lot about you know the evolution of you know the consumer um how their uh, behaviors have changed um so how so just to dig a, a bit deeper into that point mm. um how has this evolution um increased the differences amongst people um you know previously we could make assumptions on consumers mm. and you know their earnings based on where they live um and so on but how has this you know yeah there've definitely been a lot of changes i think a lot of assumptions have been questioned um so when we talk about the evolution of the consumer over the past 5 years there's definitely been an increased uh, difference among people um and as i mentioned earlier on the use of technology has enabled individuals to access wide range of products and services to communicate and interact with you know one to one interactions between individuals um you know one to many interactions between from brands to individuals and so on and so forth um and what has happened as a result is that there have been new ways in in that communication aspect um and this has led to a fragmentation of consumer preferences and behaviors uh making it more difficult to make assumptions based off of demographic factors such as you know your age gender mm-hmm. earnings mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and location so it let me just try and paint a picture for uh you know for our our audiences in the past um it might have been assumed that um consumers living in rural areas would less likely shop online yeah. right mm-hmm. mm, you know you'd think about a consumer living in nyeri are they going to shop online to buy a new phone that's on offer mm. on black friday think about it i mean think about um a shopkeeper looking to buying um their stock and rather than ordering rather than going to the distributor um you know that has changed because you can now do that online mm-hmm. um and you know that example for me just you know painted an interesting picture because with the rise of e-commerce and the increased availability of affordable smartphones and access to the internet that's affordable by mm-hmm. the way mm-hmm. and we have one of the most affordable rates in Africa mm-hmm. as far as data. internet as far as data is concerned yeah. exactly mm-hmm. you know the assumptions around demographic uh, profiling have completely changed i'll give another example you know you're wearing a lovely jacket today where do you stay in Nairobi and i'm not looking to stalk you in any way Lavington. Lavington. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you stayed in Lavington. Mm-hmm. Um 
the way you've dressed up today, mm. you know, very smart, very uh, officially dressed mm. uh, for your occasion. Uh, I'm sure you are influenced in a certain way to dress up in that way, correct? Mm -hmm. yeah. you, you, you must have had some form of reference that you drew from to be able to choose the sort of fashion that you wear. Now, you're a woman in your 30s, um, you know, living in Lavington. Demographically, that's how you would be profiled, mm -hmm. all right? Yeah. Now, I'll take the same demographic profile, mm -hmm. but same woman living in Kileleshwa. Mm -hmm. Most likely, your earning levels are pretty much the same, given the neighborhood that you're living, mm -hmm. you, you're both living in, yeah. right? Again, same age bracket, um, living within the same location, um, same gender, all right? Demographically, you're very similar. However, chances are that her fashion decisions, her fashion choices would be very different from yours. That means she has been influenced very differently in the way she would dress up. Mm -hmm. And chances are that her points of reference uh, and her desires and her interests would be very different from what you have. So demographically, We're you're similar. similar. Yeah. Yeah. Psychographically, very you're different. very different. Yeah. And, and, and that's something that we saw the pandemic bringing out quite clearly. Because I remember when everyone was doing uh, music, they were listening to music on YouTube, it, it, having house parties and then you put on, uh, what's the name of this Nigerian band that used to play a lot? Nigerian band. Everyone hum, in hum the room is thinking. No, hum their song. Nigerian <laughs> <laughs> um, band. It will come back to me. Okay. Um, everyone was playing that. But then you'd find some people watched uh, Alternate Sound. That is the name of the band. Okay. Um, everyone would be watching Alternate Sound, uh -huh. the Kenyan version. And then it just, and it suddenly just died down amongst certain groups of people and people moved on. Yeah. But I can tell you till today, people have house parties and still put alternate sound. What does, I mean, what does that tell you from a psychographic perspective? Mm -hmm. Their interests, are, you know, your same, same demographic profile, mm. interests are very different, mm. right? Yeah. So to that degree, uh, what we started seeing is that um, experiences changed. Um, and, and the pandemic really evolved the way technology was being used. Um, and as a result of that, there was an increased difference among people within the same demographic profile. Mm -hmm. And it's important to recognize that there are still commonalities and shared values that connect individuals and communities. Um, and understanding these shared values and finding ways to appeal to them can affect the way we create effective strategies for the businesses that we are involved in and looking more importantly looking to connect uh, with consumers in an increasingly diverse and uh, complex marketplace so that would be my take around just the evolution of the consumer mm. as a result of the pandemic yeah that's how i would look at it yeah yeah no, that's really interesting. Very, yeah. very interesting. And I think you've brought out quite a few things um, that are, you know, we'll delve into later. And I think, you know, this um, the psychographics you're talking about and the demographics yeah. really is around, um, you know, data. Yes. Um, you know, you have a lot of more access to data. A lot more ac uh, data has been um, generated. Mm. Um, and, you know, the data you get it from social media, from emails, from transaction behavior, mm. and so many other sources. Mm. Mm. Um, so, what impact has the growth in volume and velocity mm -hmm. had on consumers and brands? Yeah. I mean, I'll ask this question. Three years ago, I mean, you have been in the space, you've been doing a lot of customer experience work. Yeah. Um, three years ago, how many brands were willing to have the data conversation with you? Oh, not many. Not many. Not many at all. Not many. No. Uh, I can tell you for a fact, <laughs> there are a handful of brands. Mm -hmm. Today, I can tell you without a doubt, mm. all the brands that I have worked with have an aspect of data needs that they are getting. And, and to just validate the question that you put out, the growth of volume and velocity of data available to brands has significantly 
uh, impacted the way consumers um, uh, and brands interact. Uh, and for consumers, the availability of data has led to a more personalized and targeted marketplace experience. Mm. So in other words, because consumers are now aware this is my data and you know this is how brands are tracking me, um, there's an expectation around a personalized experience. Um, and I mean, we've been talking about personalized experience uh, with Titans in the industry, you know, since 2017, but never has it come to life the way it has come to life yeah, absolutely. Uh, so far. Um, and as a result of that expectation, you know, this can result uh, in a more seamless and satisfying shopping experience um, for consumers. Um, you know, you, they can actually get relevant offers, promotions delivered directly to them. Now, however, on the consumer side, you know, we've, we've talked about consumers and brands, so let mm -hmm. me tackle the consumers first. On the consumer side, you know, there's an increased expectation around personalization, but there's a catch. Mm -hmm. Now, because of the increased use of data by brands, it has also raised concerns around privacy, um, and more importantly, the security. Um, and consumers are becoming more and more aware about the potential risks uh, associated uh, with sharing personal information or online. Now, as a result of that, many consumers um, are becoming more and more cautious about the data they share, and they are looking for reassurances, not just from brands, but also from you know phone manufacturers, you know the Apples, the Androids of this world, um, on how their data is going to be used, it's going to be shared, um, and they need this explained to them in a very responsible and transparent way. Mm -hmm. So on the consumer perspective, there's that. And we saw companies adjusting to this. And let me give an example. Apple, um, was it last year? Or uh -huh. last? It was when? 2023. Yeah. In 2022, yeah. They brought an update to the App Store that all iPhone users will need to uh, re-authenticate access of apps installed on their phone to get the right to access certain data points mm -hmm. as far as um, you know the usage of the apps are concerned. So apps, uh, consumers would have to opt in yeah. to receiving notifications, mm -hmm. they would have to opt in to being tracked and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. But that was as, as a result of consumers becoming more and more aware yeah. of mm, and know, pushing, what, back, and on pushing back on brands. Now, yeah. on the brand side, mm -hmm. there's also yeah. a case to be made. Yeah. So for brands, the growth and volume and velocity of data has enabled them to gain deeper understanding um, and insights around the consumer's behaviors and preferences. Now, as a result of that, we are seeing brands um, becoming more informed around their decision-making, around product development, around you know marketing strategies, mm -hmm. around uh, customer service, um, and this can lead to increased uh, efficiencies and effectiveness uh, in their overall operations. So don't get me wrong, data has helped brands. And data has helped brands in those ways as long as they use those data points uh, very well, to, you know, responsibly. And, and yeah. as a result of that, we've seen, you know, brands that have actually implemented those principles well. We've seen effectiveness and efficiency. And more importantly, we've seen an increase in loyalty We've seen an increase in customer satisfaction because brands can now address certain customer needs at the end of the day. Now, in similar fashion, mm -hmm. there's a but, there's a flip side to okay. it on the brand side. Uh -huh. Now, brands also come with ethical and legal <laughs> responsibilities. Speaking of brands. <laughs> <laughs> there are ethical and legal responsibilities that actually come with it. Um, when it comes to using using data mm -hmm. um, and there's a need for compliance and you know applicable laws and regulations that they need to abide uh, by now what i believe brands need to do is that they need to start being transparent and accountable uh, for their use of data now speaking of transparency and accountability we can't do this podcast unless bills are paid, right? Absolutely. So <laughs> let's get some paid. <laughs> do the honors. Our sponsor for this episode is Johnny Walker for this podcast. Actually, um, we have a black uh, Johnny Walker black label. Uh, it's a blended Scotch whiskey, um, and I'll do the honors. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Let's pay these bills. There you go. Thank you. And for me. I think I can make a very good brand ambassador. So, Diageo, East Africa Breweries. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for sponsoring this podcast. Here's to keep going, keep walking. Amen. Cheers. Yeah. <laughs> That's a nice one around That's this a, time of day. Exactly, a nice, a nice oiler. <laughs> very nice, ni- very nice um, social lubricant. Lubricant, I, I yes. Say. Yeah. <laughs> now, as I mentioned earlier on, you know, the responsibilities are actually taken up by brands. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're right, you know, there's been overall growth and volume. Um, and I strongly believe that uh, it's important for all stakeholders, consumers, brands, uh, to be able to approach data use in a responsible and ethical manner, balancing the benefits of data-driven insights uh, with the need for privacy, security, and transparency being applied at the end of the day. Mm. Yeah. No, I love that. I love the way you've you know spoken about the benefits yeah. and the obligations yeah. um, for consumers and mm. for brands. Um, so if we now go on the brand side yeah. um, and we talk about, okay, what is a journey for a brand to develop a buyer persona, you know, using all that data that you've just talked about. Mm. They have a wealth of data available to them. Mm. So how does a brand create a buyer persona? And are there useful tools out there that can make that process easier? Yeah. Um, man, that lubricant is really... <laughs> 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 You're right. Uh-huh. There are ways in which uh, brands can actually uh, take advantage of this. Um Developing a buyer persona involves a multi-step process, um, and it includes research, data analysis. Uh, it includes collaboration uh, between teams. Um, you know, there are typically steps involved in creating a buyer persona. So the first step, and allow me to break this down, consumer. I'm actually, you know, my background is actually in software engineering, so I'm a okay. very structured person, very analytical, and so Excellent. I would actually want to approach this in a very structured way mm-hmm. so if you can allow me to absolutely we want to make this as practical as, as possible. very practical as possible so yeah. the first step mm-hmm. um i think is going to be critical is going to be in the research side of things um conducting research to gather information on the target audience uh including demographics now because we know demographics is not enough we also include psychographics mm-hmm. data there, uh, behavioral patterns um it can also include other forms of market research studies that you may do around your brand. Uh, it can include customer surveys, focus groups, um, uh, social media listening is also an important part of it. So that research aspect is going to be a very key part that you conduct and get as much as information on the target audience as possible. The second layer to that is now the analysis of the data that you've collected from the first phase. And here what you're trying to identify are patterns and insights, looking for commonalities and in, 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 in behavioral interests, looking for uh, preferences uh, to develop more detailed understanding about your target audience. Once we've analyzed that data and we've gotten those commonalities in those um, uh, segments, we can then go ahead and define the persona. Mm-hmm. Now, using the insights that we've gained from research and data analysis, we can actually create a very detailed description of our ideal customer and that this should include the demographic information, the behavioral patterns, the motivations and the pain points or psychographics um, to actually define that. Now, a very important part of persona development uh, to your question is the refining and validation of these personas, right? More often than not, as marketers, we make this mistake of relying too heavily on data without necessarily uh, validating this data. Mm. Or sense-checking. Or sense-checking this data one-to-one in human human form. And this is what forms this fourth aspect, which is refining and validation, Mm. whereby we refine and validate the persona by sharing it with internal teams and gathering feedback and making adjustments uh, as needed based on the input that we've actually received. 
So it's important that in as much as we've collecting this data, we need to validate this data and share that with our teams internally. And then from there, once that validation process has happened, finally, we can use these personas to guide marketing and sales efforts. Um, uh, and it's not just from a marketing and sales perspective, but I think it's more important to use personas to develop products and services. Mm -hmm. We see a lot of personas being used in, 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 in marketing. The use of personas is used in marketing, but we rarely create products um, and also customer service strategies, you know, using this persona. So it's important, I feel like, you know, for us to be able to do that. So that's, mm. that's something that I would, I, would, I would go for. From a tools perspective, uh, some of the tools that I think brands can actually take advantage of to do this sort of uh, five steps that I mentioned earlier on, mm -hmm. um, you know, CRM is going to be very important. Uh, it will help you organize your customer data, um, the decision making that they've done over time within your business, survey tools, analytics tools, persona templates, and so on and so forth. I think those are things that we can actually be able to take up. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Yeah, I like that. I mean, to your point that, you know, uh, personas should also be used for mm. creating products. It's all about that mm. um, personalized experience. You know, consumers are demanding it. Yeah. And so this is a way that brands can really um, hone in on what to develop for their yeah. customers. Um, so just to your question, you mentioned different uh, platforms that uh, brands can use to yeah. get information. Yep, yep. He talked about CRM platforms. Yes. Um, maybe you can define for us what CRM platforms oh, are. Oh, my bad. Um, a CRM is actually a customer relationship management platform. Mm -hmm. um, and so the way we, I would define this is, um, it's think of it as a platform where you collect uh, information or data around your customer and it's stored there. So certain, certain data points that are collected are like, you know, what's the name of your customer? What's their phone number? Mm. What's their email address? Um, you know, what products have they bought um, over the last 90 days? Are they a repeat customer? Is there a reason why they haven't come back? And so on and so forth. So it's a platform that really uh, stores um, information around your customer. And it's proven to be valuable for companies that have really followed up at the practice of updating mm -hmm. um, their customer relationship management uh, uh, platforms. platforms. Yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. Cool. And maybe you can give us um, an example or mm. a use case of you know how Densu is using this data that you just talked about, this wealth of data you just yeah. talked about. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's, it's, it, it's quite exciting, to be honest with you. I mean, all this data that we've, we've been talking about, you know, how to use it, you know, how to take, take, take advantage of it. At Densu, um, we have been able to uh, go into the market, uh, research, um, uh, you know, people across, you know, different uh, towns, cities, uh, urban and peri-urban areas, uh, people from different walks of life, um, to really get a true representation of the population that we have uh, today. The other thing that we went ahead to do then is not just understand their demographic setup, but more importantly understand their psychographic uh, uh, setup. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, through this data, we've collected you know quite a bit, you know, invested quite a lot of money. Obviously, you know, going through this uh, activity. And we were able to understand their consumption behaviors as far as media is concerned. Got to understand their motivations, their beliefs around uh, taking up certain products, certain services within the marketplace. And it has proven to be a gold mine uh, of information that uh, brands can actually take up. Uh, one of the examples that I can give it's actually from our sponsors uh, oh, today. Nice, nice. <laughs> um, uh -huh, do tell. We sat down with um, uh, with with the East Africa breweries um, mm -hmm. to really understand um, beer consumption mm -hmm. um, in the marketplace today, and obviously, you know, beer consumption has had been on a decline. Uh, for some time now, um, especially for one specific brand. Mm -hmm. um, we wanted to really get a clear picture of what would be the motivations that consumers would be able to actually take up uh, over time to consume more. 
And so one of the things we did is not just sitting down with the marketing teams, but actually sitting down with the sales teams mm -hmm. to understand, you know, what exactly makes a consumer buy uh, your product mm. at the end of the day. And so we defined certain um, uh, areas of transactions or points of transaction mm -hmm. uh, uh, for the brand. Uh, we looked at what they defined as the beer belt. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, within this beer belt, we were able to identify where uh, there's not just human traffic going there mm -hmm. uh, to those locations uh, as defined by uh, as defined by the different personas that they have within their business. Um, we also looked at the motivations behind consumers visiting those areas. So a lot of that was, you know, to get your social uh, currency, uh, social capital mm -hmm. development happening, mm -hmm. people, friends meeting friends yeah. um, over the weekend. More importantly, those locations were actually used as a convergence point uh, when it came to sporting events mm. like um, uh, like Formula One and more importantly, the English Premier League. Mm -hmm. What was quite interesting about uh, this experience was um, when we looked at the sales data uh, from the beer belt, we noted that there are some locations um, where beer was being bought, transaction volumes were high, and there were some points where transaction volumes were low within that same belt. Mm -hmm. So what we then did was we took that sales data and then we layered uh, our comms data on top of that. And so that's where, um, you know, our our proprietary data sets came into play. Mm -hmm. We looked at what are some of the media channels that existed within that location, both online and offline. We looked at um, what were the psychographic motivations that consumers would have within that beer belt. Uh, we looked at um, messaging that was happening around that brand mm -hmm. uh, within that beer belt. And what was quite interesting was the fact that within that belt, Predominantly, there were comms around uh, offers, um, and at the time, I think it was around. It was a deal for Nyamachoma, mm -hmm. and um, and, and beer, beer. Uh, if I'm not wrong, mm -hmm. um, and which was really interesting. I had nothing to do with the brand at all, but everything to do with the offer. And so, when we queried the research that we got, uh, one of the things that came out was that the uh, the, the 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 comms within that location, um, you know, really emphasized buying the, the offer. But when you looked at the sales data, it's not really what drives mm. the sale. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's other moments that the consumer was experiencing to be able to drive that. And so the strategy that we went back to the um, EABL team was that we actually need to move away from promotional messaging to a more brand building messaging within that location. And this was um, a hypothesis that the internal teams had, but it was never verified with data. And so this was the first time we were able to go back to data and say, you know, we need to move away from promotional comms to more brand building comms. Mm -hmm. So that was the first thing that happened. And then we realized where the um, locations where the, 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 the transaction volumes were lower, around the same brand, within that same beer belt, comms that were around that location had nothing to do with the brand. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, other brands taking advantage of that. So there was no um, mental awareness about what the brand had to offer, whether it's promotional mm -hmm. or brand building. Yeah. So what we decided to do is we, took we, we looked at out-of-home data, for example, and you know one of the things M1 has done very well, it has mapped out all out-of-home comms mm -hmm. um, that we are able to then uh, lay on top of everything else. And we used out-of-home as a way to drive mental awareness around the brand. And then tagged those points of transaction with brand comms. And what was really interesting was that when we tagged that, it cemented the, um, the, 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 the notion that the brand actually really uh, supported me and really uh, understood me as a consumer 
during my moment of consumption. Mm-hmm. And so that alignment happened. But what was, what was quite interesting is in the locations whereby there was no comms happening around uh, the brand itself, we now started pushing promotional mm. content. Okay, yeah. And what was quite interesting is that the moment we started pushing promotional content mm-hmm. in the areas where the transactional volumes were low, we were able to actually bring the transactional volumes higher. Mm-hmm. And we then led social media listening data on top of that, and it confirmed the positive hypothesis that we had in our minds that brand building exercises actually goes a long way in strengthening the association between the brand and the consumer and therefore increasing the lifetime value of the consumer salience mm-hmm. with that. Mm-hmm. And whenever we ran continued comms around promotional messaging, yeah, it's, it's promotion, 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 but for how long can you really run a promotional mm-hmm. message, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we began to see a shift yeah. in that. And, and I mean, that journey is still ongoing till today. Um, and I know there's a lot of testing and learning that's happening. Um, and we are really excited about the outcomes of that. So that's just an example of how, mm. um, you know, M1 data sets have been used. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I love that. I love that. I think some of the key things I'm picking up on is, you know, um, this use of data is, you know, using multidimensional data. Exactly. Um, you can't just take one piece of data it's not effective enough exactly. anymore. Yeah, yeah. You need yeah, to layer. Yeah. And, and the, the example I use with data is yeah. that, and I, I always advise, um, uh, you know, data teams, marketing teams, strategy teams mm-hmm. is, it, data is like a, it's, it's like a fire you need to light up. Mm-hmm. You take one source of data, take another source of data, and then you like rub it together and then it forms yeah. a flame. Another, like, big, another data. big flame. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you, you know, you get interesting insights yeah. when you like layer different yeah. uh, data sets. Mm. And this has been applied on digital mm-hmm. in the past. Like, you know, for digital natives, it has always been a natural thing. But I think as we transition into a consumer who necessarily doesn't consume TV, radio, print, in silos, but they actually are living in a digital fast environment, consuming these mm. platforms, consuming yeah. this content from these platforms. It's important for us to learn how to layer those data sets. Mm. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Love yeah. it. Love yeah. it. Love it. Um, so. Maybe let me switch gears a little bit because we talked about data, yes. the importance of data, yes. um, you know, the insights it's giving us about mm. our consumers. Mm. Um, but I wonder, um, is there a line between data and intuition? Oh, you know, where is goodness. the line? And have you ever been in a situation where you went with your gut feeling versus hard data? I need to have a drink for this. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, it's actually much better when it's taken straight. Even Just without as an ice. FYI, without no, ice, no ice. It is actually really pleasant. It differs. Everybody has their own way of. I really like it this way. <laughs> <laughs> um, a line mm-hmm. um, between um, data. Data. And intuition. And intuition. Yeah. Yes. There is a very clear line. I don't think it's thin or thick. It's okay. clear. Uh-huh. That is a fact. Okay. Um, we've had instances whereby, and you mentioned, you remember when I talked about uh, how we built personas? Yeah. The mm-hmm. fourth and important step was validating data, mm. the data that you've collected. Mm. More often than not, whenever we've gone ahead to validate data, we've realized that there is need for uh, for internal teams, focus groups, to be able to validate the claim that the data set is making mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Increasingly, what we have realized is that m- more often than not, whenever marketers use data sets to inform their marketing decisions, validation almost always never happens. Like, we really need to question ourselves. Mm. Like, you know, mm-hmm is this media owner really the most popular uh, consumed media owner Mm -hmm. in the country? You know, just as an example, Mm -hmm. how can we really validate that? Yeah. Um, And you could do a spot check, like, oh, what do you do? What do you watch at nine Mm -hmm. o'clock? Chances are that I'm on my YouTube. 
yeah. you know, in rural areas, you'll be watching news. Like you need to validate this data mm. at some point. Mm. Mm. Um, one interesting case that I have um, was uh, this brand um, that we were launching in Senegal a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, they are a e-commerce player. Mm-hmm. Um, and they came to us and they said, we want to do performance marketing now. If you know me, you love performance I, love marketing. Perform- I love anything <laughs> that will bring business value to, to a business at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, and it was a very new brand in mm-hmm. the market. They were not known. So launching a brand in Senegal, mm-hmm. um, you know, their assignment to us was that, you know, we want to run performance marketing. We need to grow our user base. We need yeah. to grow transaction volumes mm-hmm. as a result. Um, and you know, I mean, you know me. I love performance marketing. Absolutely. I love I love anything that will bring value back to the business. You know, yeah. if the business value grows, yeah. I mean, you're happy. I'm happy. <laughs> yeah. So to your question, um, there was this one brand that we were launching in Senegal. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a brand that actually operated in the quick commerce space. Mm-hmm. Um, they came to us with a very clear performance marketing assignment. Mm-hmm. You know, they want to run performance marketing to actually grow their user base. They want to grow performance marketing. They want to use performance marketing to grow their transaction volumes. Yeah. Um, brand has never operated in Senegal before. And so they came to us with this assignment. And I remember, I'll never forget, um, you know, getting excited about the prospect of of doing this for a brand. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know me, I love performance marketing. Absolutely. I like seeing brands grow. Yeah. Um, what was really uh, interesting were the conversations that we ended up having with the CEO and the CMO mm-hmm. at the time. And I remember telling them, well, in actuality, I don't think this is the right direction we should take. Mm-hmm. In as much as the data shows us that performance marketing will always grow your your you know when you run search mm-hmm. you know these conversion rates are, are gonna be there if you run uh google app campaigns you know you'll get this number of downloads mm. you know you can run remarketing for registration and so on and so forth uh, one of the things that was very clear was that it's a new brand no one knows anything about this brand mm. and i remember the radical um uh a rebuttal we gave them uh, as far as our proposal was concerned was to just do video uh, based campaigns so that means tv mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and youtube yeah. at the time and maybe facebook videos yeah um because the data said one thing but you know very well that in your heart of hearts your intuition is like people will not Convert. Convert. You know, <laughs> yeah. in as much as we are trying to do performance marketing, people yeah. will not convert unless they know mm. what this brand is about. Mm-hmm. So for us, there was need for us to do brand building uh, at scale. And, and, and this was probably in 2019, 2018, mm. 2019. Um, and I'm happy to note that, you know, the, the brand launched, they, they took up our advice and our model was actually replicated across other markets mm. uh, for the same brand. And so, you know, quite excited around the fact that they decided to actually follow the intuition that we had mm-hmm. uh, to be able to actually, you know, drive that. But what was really interesting to that point is that uh, there's a recent report that was done, uh, you know, documenting how Airbnb mm-hmm. actually yeah. moved away from performance marketing and focused a lot on brand building. Airbnb, the brand that was known from before, mm-hmm. you know, moved away from performance marketing and purely focused on brand building. Yeah. And what happened mm. to their uh, to their growth? Uh, they saw, um, you know, more bookings and you know, people aligned to, the, the, to that brand value, you know. And I see the same with, you know, other players like Booking.com doing that today in mm-hmm. the markets, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting to see how these things can actually be replicated over time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm. Okay. So yes, data is important. Yes. But also layering. Being layering is a key Layer, thing here. Yeah. Layering your human intuition on top of that. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. So, you know, the digital landscape is continuously evolving. Mm. You know, we've spoken about it here mm. and, you know, consumer dynamics present challenges that, you know, we must navigate. Yeah. Um, and some of those challenges are, personalization versus privacy. Mm. Um, Consumers are now more in control. They expect seamless personalized digital experiences um, and they want 
you know, things to be made easy for them to discover and shop on any occasion. Um, however, they don't want their privacy to be impeded. Yes. So how do we as uh, brand owners, as, uh, you know, marketing professionals ensure that our all the data activities meet mm. our consumers' expectations on personalization yeah. and privacy. Yeah, I think it's important to acknowledge that balancing uh, personalization with privacy is a key challenge that brands are facing today. Mm. Uh, you know, consumers want their personalized experiences, um, as I mentioned earlier on, um, and they want them tailored to their needs and preferences. I mean, I expect that for the brands that I work, mm -hmm. I engage with, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but more importantly, I think for us to be able to ensure that all data activities meet our our our, our consumer uh, brand needs um i think there's need for brands to prioritize transparency trust uh and respect in the data that is collected mm -hmm. uh, from the consumers obviously and the use thereof mm -hmm. um you know there's there's some strategies that can actually help so allow the the analyst in me to come out um, there are certain things that we need to, to consider. Number mm -hmm. one, brands need to be transparent. They mm -hmm. need to communicate clearly and openly with their consumers about how their data is being collected and how their data is being uh, used. Mm -hmm. um, I think providing this clear information uh, on the data that is being collected and how it's being used um, allows consumers to understand better mm -hmm. how these brands are, are using that information and it creates a certain layer of trust. Um, I think the other th important thing that brands should be able to look at is look at obtaining consent, obtain explicit consent from consumers before collecting their data. And you know, I, I think ensuring that consent process is clear and it's easy to understand. Mm -hmm. More often than not, we see experiences where people go online and they are just told, you know, Agree to these terms and conditions, and you know within those terms and conditions, it's very clear. Yeah. And then you just you can't use the platform unless you accept yes, and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important for us to be able to to do that. To do that, but more importantly, I want to believe that consumers should actually have an option to opt out at any time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. At any time, as a consumer, I should be able to say. I don't want. Yeah, I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> so I think that opt-in, obtaining mm -hmm. consent, mm. and then giving the consumer the power to opt out, mm. I think is important. Uh, number three, I think it's also important for us to be able to provide control to the consumer over their data. Mm -hmm. We've seen brands like Google doing it now. We've seen Meta after the big fiasco they had. Mm -hmm. Apple obviously were the pioneers uh, when they did this. And providing options for consumers to access, edit or delete their data I think is really, really important. Uh, and respecting their choices and preferences should be adhered to. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And then more importantly, whenever the data is collected, and which brings me to my fourth point, how is this data protected? Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. um, are those practices of collecting the data compliant with uh, applicable laws and regulations. Now in Kenya we have DPA, um, in South Africa we actually do have the POPI, yeah. um, mm -hmm. in Nigeria we have the uh, the GDPR equivalent there called mm -hmm. N DP, NDPR, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Um, you know, they have their own ways of doing that. Mm -hmm. um, we need to actually implement appropriate security measures to protect data uh, from unauthorized access or disclosure. Mm -hmm. And I think this is really, really important for, uh, uh, for brands uh, to be able to consider. They have to abide by um, the authority of the land mm -hmm. as far as that is concerned. Um, but more importantly, I think they need to also prioritize privacy. Prioritizing privacy and data protection in all business operations, mm -hmm. every mm -hmm. single business operations, yeah. uh, make it um, much more um, easier for consumers to trust brands. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when you apply this, not just in marketing practices, but in every other operation that you have, it's going to be important and, and, and make privacy a core value of your organization. It's one thing to say, these are our policies, this mm -hmm. is what, you, but if you have it as a value, mm -hmm. it's ingrained in your DNA as an organization, then it becomes very easy to ensure that all employees are trained on privacy best case practices. So overall, to ensure that, you know, all data activities meet consumer expectations, uh, brands need to prioritize transparency, trust, uh, and respect uh, in their data collection and use uh, practices. And by doing so, I think brands can actually 
go ahead and build long-term relationships with consumers based on their mutual respect mm. uh, and trust that has been established as a result of doing these things. Yeah. 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 Mm. Mm. The second challenge, so, you know, talked about personalization and privacy. I mean, the second challenge that has come out of, um, you know, this evolving landscape mm. is consumers versus algorithms. Um, you know, we live in a digital first world where algorithms are the new gatekeepers to our consumers Oof. and consumer trust and privacy concerns are evolving data privacy laws. Mm. So what do media agencies slash <laughs> brands... You just had to ask what the agencies are doing. Well, I mean, <laughs> you're here on the hot seat. Well, I think even brands need to do something. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So the yeah. question is media agencies and brands, okay. what do they need to do differently? Um, yeah, uh, no, I agree with you 100%. Um, these concerns are real. Mm. Don't get me wrong. Um, we live in a world whereby, you know, the algorithms are the new gatekeepers. Yeah. Uh, and I think there is a role that media agencies and brands need to proactively take to build that consumer trust. Now, I mentioned mm -hmm. how brands can actually do that earlier on. Um, I think there are some strategies that, uh, you know, even agencies can take up. And, and we've, we've been able to do that even during our, our studies, mm -hmm. you know, with M1. We are we're GDPR compliant, mm -hmm. uh, we are uh, DPA compliant, mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, we, it's part of our value system. It's embodied within our DNA. So, number one, I think we need to prioritize transparency, right? Um, be transparent how algorithms are used to collect consumer data. Because we're talking about algorithms being gatekeepers, mm. right? Um, we need to communicate clearly about how this data is being collected, how a, a, how algorithms, I was about to say AI, it's a different thing, but yeah. you know, how algorithms yeah. are, are being used uh, to analyze this data mm -hmm. yeah. and how it can actually benefit the consumer. And I think this can help establish a positive relationship with our consumer base. Um, and this applies for both brands and agencies. I think there's need for us to embrace the reg regulations. As I mentioned earlier on, uh, getting those regulations in place, we need to foster consumer education and it's, it's constant education around how these algorithms work. Um, many a times we see consumers getting empowered to make informed decisions about how their data is being used and as a result how they can actually understand the data privacy mm -hmm. um, i think it's also important as agencies to start looking at building ethical algorithms mm, okay. um, you know building ethical algorithms that really prioritize on fairness uh, prioritize on transparency prioritize on consumer privacy mm -hmm. um, it's important and it's not just building them but also conducting um regular audits mm -hmm. on the bills that you've made on the models that you've built to ensure that algorithms really are aligned with our ethical principles that we live by mm. um and i see the same standard now being applied in artificial intelligence because we have ethical ai becoming a very big part of of, of what we do and i have I mean, I can go on and on and on and talk about some of the scary examples that mm. we've seen. Yeah. But it's really interesting to see how this is. But to, to your question, um, you know, media agencies and brands can actually, you know, take up some of these things that I mentioned earlier on. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I think that's a great, um, you know, uh, segue also into as we are moving into AI, we'll yeah. get to that point ah, in a moment. Okay. Got it, got it, got um, it. Definitely, we can't do this uh, show without... We can't have an... Just wait. Yes. Consumer, listener, we can't have an iMarketing podcast if we don't talk about AI, just as, a, as an FYI. So stay tuned. Have you seen what I've done there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, so then let's talk about trust. You've talked yeah. about trust um, quite a lot. Mm -hmm. um, so the 2020 Edelman Trust Barometer reports that 78% of consumers surveyed um, say they will advocate uh, recommend and defend a brand that they trust. Mm. So d how do marketers build trust for brands in an era where data is a big driver in the dissolution of trust? Um, maybe you can give us an example, you know, from the continent of how you've seen a brand build trust um, and loyalty. Yeah, I think um, that 2020 uh, report was actually quite interesting. And I, a lot of... Um, 
the answers that are uh, that I've given actually referenced um, the report. So when we talk about uh, you know prioritizing transparency, protecting the data, uh, you know fostering engagement with your customer, um, and then focusing on value delivery uh, through personalization and relevant marketing messaging. Um, these are ways that you know marketers can actually leverage off of off of um, trust building uh, activities are concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, an interesting example that I can actually give uh, is a brand from uh, uh, from South Africa. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They started off as an insurance company. They've actually evolved into a bank. They're doing quite a lot of card transactions. So an example I can give um, of how brands have leveraged on you know this trust ecosystem that you know we've been talking about mm. um, is this one specific brand in South Africa that was actually a an insur- they started off as an insurance company they would provide a lot of health insurance to their customer base mm-hmm. but then evolved into other forms of financial services which you know were included but not limited to banking services mm-hmm. um, I think they got their banking license they are doing a lot of credit debit uh, card um, solutions mm-hmm. really interesting fintech solutions but they initially started as a healthcare insurance company mm-hmm. what was really interesting about this brand is I remember a couple of years ago they introduced an application um, to their uh, to their customer base so if you're a customer of this uh, insurance company, you'd get an app. And the app would be primarily used to track your activities, your physical activities. Mm-hmm. So how many steps have you taken? Um, you know, what have you eaten? And it, it really encouraged a fit lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, by them doing that, mm-hmm. already they are collecting your data. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember around this time, I think it was back in 2018, mm-hmm. they had actually prompted their customer base that, you know, this is the data that we will be collecting over time. Mm-hmm. What's really interesting up to me about how they ended up um, reinvesting uh, this data set into their service offering was that based off of your physical activity, so how many steps did you take? Mm-hmm. Uh, when you went to the gym, what activities did you do? you know, record the number of burpees you did. Mm-hmm. Oh, for how long were you on the treadmill? Yeah. How many Ks did you run? Mm. Were you cycling? You know, were you walking? You know, yeah. exactly what your smartwatch would do today. Mm. They created an app for that. Mm-hmm. What was interesting is that they took that data and then reinvested it in, the, in, in, their, in their service offering. And they said, based off of your physical activity, because we know your lifestyle, your premiums would vary based off of your physical activity. In other mm, words, yeah. the more physical you are as a human being, mm-hmm. the more, the less likely you will, you know, fall ill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, mm-hmm. we can vary the premiums mm-hmm. that you pay as a consumer yeah. over time based off of your physical activity. And so this was a very interesting way in which data was used to build a brand offering. And then as a result of them building the brand offering, it benefits the user. Mm-hmm. Because as a consumer, I'd be like, huh, I want to play, pay less premiums. For me to pay less premiums, I need to be more physically active. Mm. Which is a win-win. Which is a win-win. Yeah. Yeah. You see how it builds um, a better customer experience. Yeah, and I'm more likely going to be loyal to this insurance company mm-hmm. because of how we do it. Our actuarial models in this market actually don't allow us to be able to do that. And I sincerely mm-hmm. hope, and I speak to the actuarial community right now, mm-hmm. I sincerely hope that we actually take um, advantage of data sets that exist today. Telcos, financial services, um, mm-hmm. and even now in the healthcare sector, yeah. There's a lot of data that's being collected. Let's use that data to create better customer experiences, better products, better services for for Kenyans in general. Mm. And I hope that I know someone within the government can actually watch this podcast because I think it's a very interesting way we can actually use data to build trust mm. uh, for consumers from a brand lens perspective. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I think uh, you've you know hit the nail on the head. I think you know data can be used to really create a delightful experience yeah. and to really solve 
actual customer needs and customer problems. Yeah. So definitely, um, thank you so much for that example and for um, really uh, honing in on that point. Yeah, thank yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this discussion would be amiss um, if we didn't discuss AI, considering the current visibility of chat GPT. Thomas Friedman stated that machines can be programmed to do the next thing right. Mm -hmm. But only humans can do the next right thing. How do you see the evolution and application for AI and machine learning um, in how brands connect with consumers? You know what would be, and I'm sorry for going off track here. You know what would be really dope okay, yes. for this? Yes. What if we actually asked ChatGPT? Let's... We asked, we asked ChatGPT. Yes. Hold on, let me yes. just open this up. All right. Um, nothing, this is Thomas Friedman. Yeah. Nothing okay. like a live demo. Okay. This is ChatGPT. Okay, 4. so okay, so let me just let me yeah, I will use ChatGPT four. Mm -hmm. So Thomas Friedman stated machines can be programmed to do the next thing right, mm -hmm. but only humans can do the next right thing that's the prompt right so how do we see the evolution of applica evolution and applications of ai machine learning mm -hmm. in how brands yeah. in how brands can connect with consumers right yeah mm -hmm. all right oh this is interesting okay let's hear let's hear <laughs> and this update so this is uh, chat gpt this is the may third version so it's a very recent update mm-hmm Thomas Friedman's quote is a valuable reminder of the unique capabilities of human intelligence, particularly when it comes to ethics, decision-making, and subjective judgment. Nevertheless, mm -hmm. the evolution of application of AI and machine learning have been transforming the way brands connect with consumers. Here are some ways this technology can enhance brand-consumer relationships. Chat GPT is actually referencing what I had talked about earlier on. Personalization. All right. Customer service. Mm -hmm. Predictive analysis. We never talked about predictive analysis. Mm -hmm. um, Chat GPT says machine learning can identify patterns and trends in large data sets. Uh, enabling brands to anticipate customer needs and preferences. So that's a very interesting thing. Mm -hmm. Segmentation, we talked about it. Mm -hmm. yeah. Sentiment analysis. Yes, yes. AI can um, analyze social media posts, online reviews, and other user-generated content, and it can use uh, it can be used to gauge public sentiments towards a brand or product. And then one interesting thing that we never talked about that AI can do is voice and visual search. Mm. So. You know, users are using voice search now. They're using yeah. a lot of visual search, you yeah. know, to do research and look for products and services. Mm -hmm. Now, this is a very interesting thing that ChatGPT says. However, while AI can bring numerous benefits, it's crucial to remember that Friedman's point on machines can only do what they are programmed to do. They lack human ability to understand context beyond their training data or make ethical decisions. Brands should therefore use AI as a tool to enhance human decision making and not replace it. Come on, can we get that clap thing on the nini? <laughs> absolutely, I mean, absolutely. I mean, we, we talked we, we've talked about this earlier on, but yes. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm excited that, you know, a model like GPT-4 can actually pick up some of those sentiments we talked about. Mm -hmm. It's important that we do not replace mm. humans. Humans. Yeah. We complement yeah. humans. And that's really uh, where we're going to you know, look at it in, 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 in detail. And I, and I think that's, that's where the value proposition comes into play. Mm -hmm. But I think more importantly, even as we are looking at um, this, you know, AI has significant potential to connect with customers. Mm -hmm. Uh, but brands need to maintain that balance between human judgment and technological innovation. And that's really what we are saying. saying. Mm -hmm. And when you combine these strengths, we can create meaningful impact uh, and experiences for our customers at the end of the day. So excellent. that would be my take on that, on that question. Excellent, yeah. excellent, excellent. Thank yeah. you so much, Joel. Um, this has been a really, really informative session. Um, we've covered so many um, amazing topics about getting to know your customer. Um, and for me, um, I would say my key takeaways um, are, you know, number one, consumers are evolving um, and we can no longer just use demographic data to understand our audiences, but also to overlay psychographic data as well. Mm. 
Um, the second thing is, you know, we need to use lots of different data. Um, as Joel gave a great um, analogy, you know, you take a bit of this data, take a bit of this data, mash them together and, you know, create even better um, insights and so on. So really using your CRM data, your social listening data, transaction data, and really layering that to get a lot of great insights. Um, the third key takeaway for me is around, you know, defining your personas, um, using that data, but also validating. Um, because as we talked about, you know, you also have to use, um, you know, intuition and information from uh, people and sense check what the data is telling you. Um, and then I think another key thing that came out is around um, how to build trust. You know, data is great, but it has also meant that um, it has caused um, some angst around consumers. Um, so brands really need to um, figure out how they're going to uh, be compliant with all the data privacy laws, um, be more transparent, communicate effectively um, in order to build trust. Um, and then the, the last point, you know, um, ChatGPT is our friend um, and we should work together and complement <laughs> each other. <laughs> it's not just ChatGPT alone, there are many others that uh, are out there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, any parting Any parting shot? shot that you'd like to... Brands out there that haven't used um, data. I encourage you to go ahead and use it as she mentioned in her parting shot m1 is a perfect way to start um i mean m1 actually captures everything that we've actually mentioned here and mm -hmm. really interested to see what business challenges we can solve uh, out there so the ball is in your court marketers it's on you awesome yeah. thank you yeah.